know, as Heather was praying, one of the things I've discovered when it comes to suffering, because this is what Peter is really talking about and addressing in chapter 4 of his letter uh, to the churches that have been scattered throughout Asia Minor, suffering I've discovered in my own personal life and through observation in the lives of others will either leave you bitter or broken. All right, but if you allow God to take you through the process of brokenness, doesn't mean that God wants to break your spirit. God can't work with a broken spirit. It means he wants to break off of us those things that are so unlike Jesus. And sometimes suffering is the only way that he can accomplish that task. Every person who's been used in any significant way whatsoever in the Bible went through a process of brokenness long before God could use them. And I can name you names after that, like Moses. Man, he spent 40 years in the, you know, the palace of Pharaoh, but he spent 40 years on the backside of a desert watching his father-in-law's sheep. Now think about how long that is, 40 years. Some of you aren't even 40 years old, and you're thinking, I'm on the backside of a desert watching a bunch of sheep. So brokenness is a process by God uses to prepare us for something that he wants to do in us and ultimately through us. I am most often asked the question as a pastor, Lord, uh, pastor, uh, why is this happening to me? You know, this is happening and this is happening and I've tried to do the right thing and I tried to be good and I tried to do this and, but now all of a sudden my life is caving in on me and why is God allowing this to happen? And in the very first part of 1 Peter chapter 4, we talked about last week, suffering in general is that here's the deal with life, and here's really the bottom line of, of what Peter says. Life leaves you no option as to whether or not you're going to suffer. Everybody suffers in a variety of different ways and for a variety of different reasons. However, life does leave you with the option as to how you're going to respond to suffering. And we'll respond one of two ways. We can suffer and sin or we can suffer and serve. What I mean by suffer and sin is is that now we are frustrated with God, disappointed in God, mad at God because he allowed this to happen in my life or enter into my life, and therefore I feel like I am the victim here, and I feel I have, you know, a sense of entitlement to be able to do whatever I want to do because after all, I've just gotten a really, really raw deal here in life. And so then we just kind of engage in our, you know, sinful ways of life as as um, Peter described and gave us a checklist by which we can go through. Or we can suffer and serve. That is, we can allow God, as he said he would, take all things in life, good, bad, and the ugly, work it together for our good because we are loved by God, called according to his purpose, being conformed to the image of Jesus, and let God take our misery and turn it into a ministry. A means by which we can bring hope into the atmosphere in the room in which we enter into or the life that we're engaging with, we bring something to the table that the world just does not have to offer anyone. And so one of the reasons it's important that we don't engage in our old sinful practices is because God has called us to a supernatural ministry that requires supernatural power. And if you're quenching the spirit and you are um, grieving the Holy Spirit, that power is null and void. All right, so I can stand here and preach, and I can be engaged in all kinds of things you don't know about sinfully, 
and I can just operate off a of sheer ability or talent, but if I want the Spirit of God to fall, if I want the Spirit of God to come, and He's the only one who can change a heart and a life, then I had better be in a position by which I am a conduit that is clean before the Spirit so that He can come as I stand here and teach you God's Word. That's the difference. Now, there are Several types of suffering, reasons we suffer. Let me just name three of them really quickly. One is common suffering, and that is because I'm a human being, right? We talked about this last week when Adam and Eve sinned against God. The world became broken. Humanity became broken. Our hearts are broken. And we long for perfection because God has put eternity in our hearts. But this world will never give us perfection because it has no ability to bring perfection into the equation, neither does anyone else in your life. Your husband won't bring you perfection. Your wife won't bring you perfection. Your children won't bring you perfection. Your friends and family, they just can't do it. We are all broken human beings. But what God can do is transform us from the inside out because of Jesus, right? Jesus is the healer for ultimately the world and certainly for our lives. There is carnal suffering because I sin, right? So we have many, many examples of that in the scripture. You suffer because you've just made bad decisions. You, you have, you, have uh, you know, engaged in sinful practices and then you suffer. It's amazing how many people blame God for their suffering because their own bad choices and their own sinful actions. Remember this, you might want to jot this down in your bulletin. If you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Now, the consequences of that sin may be delayed, which is, you know, kind of really sucks us in. Uh, but ultimately, you're going to suffer at some point because the Bible does say to us, uh, a man reaps whatever he sows. Number three is Christian suffering because I am a believer. That is, you suffer for doing right. You suffer for doing the right thing. And this is what Peter is going to talk about in these last verses in chapter 4 that we're going to study together. And remember, all through this letter, Peter keeps pulling up Jesus and using him as, him as an example. So, did Jesus do right or wrong? Right? Did Jesus suffer for doing right? You better believe he did. He suffered a lot because he did the right thing. He wasn't suffering because he had done the wrong thing, but for doing the right thing. And so Peter says to us, Jesus as our example, let's unpack this a minute and let me give you five ways that you need to respond if you're suffering as a Christian for doing what is right. I didn't say for doing what's sinful or for doing what is wrong, I said for doing what is right. If you try to live for Jesus, you are always going to get pushback from somebody. And uh, it's just going to happen. So how are we to respond to that? Well, Peter helps us out here in these verses. Number one is you've got to realize this is bound to happen, right? What does he say? Dear friends, verse 12, chapter 4, dear friends, do not be surprised. At the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised when people put you down. Do not be surprised when people challenge your faith. Be not surprised, youth, who go to college and you have a professor who's very liberal, who's going to put down your faith, ridicule your faith, and challenge your faith, and say, if you try to stand up to him or her, or you try to 
respond back. They just, in essence, will try to make you feel like an idiot because you believe something that they consider so archaic and so unbelievable. And so why are we surprised by this? Don't be shocked. Don't be caught off guard is what Peter is saying to us. Jesus was very realistic. John 15, 20, he said, listen, no servant is greater than his master. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. It's just going to happen. So at Jesus' baptism, do you remember what the father said? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now when Peter says, dear friends, uh, some of your translations will say, dear beloved, because you are the beloved of God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that means at some point when you put your faith and trust in Christ, God uttered those same words over you. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When did God say this? Before Jesus ever did anything. And it's the same thing as truths for you. God's love for you, his belovedness over you is not dependent upon what you do or do not do. It is dependent upon the relationship you have with your heavenly father through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to look at Jesus's life, the beloved of God and his earthly ministry, would you come up to the conclu- with the conclusion, well, um... Does he look beloved? I mean, does it really look like the favor of God's resting on him? If you read the New Testament, it says that he was hated, he was used, he was abused, he was stolen from, he was abandoned, he was betrayed, he was ignored at times, he was falsely accused, he was denied, he was arrested, he was flogged, he was crucified for crying out loud. Doesn't look very beloved to me. I'm thinking... Well, if this is the way the Father's going to treat me, I'm out of here. I I don't need this. But this is what Jesus encountered. This is what Jesus suffered, not for doing what is right, but for what is doing, not for doing what is wrong, but what is right. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, and can I follow Jesus even though some of these same things may happen to me as a result of my following him? Now, you're probably not going to be crucified. I get that. But you know, life and death is held in the power of the tongue, and some people can use their tongues to absolutely crucify you, if they so desire, because of your faith in Christ. And so how are we going to, how are we going to respond to those seasons in life where it's most tempting and most troubling and most trying? And there's a very powerful lie that your parents told you, even though they meant well. And that is the lie of, you know, if you, just do every, if you just do things right and well in life, everything will work out. How's that working for you? And not true. It's just not true. You can do the right things and get a wrong response from somebody else. You can do what you feel is right and they respond in a very negative way. Jesus did what was right. Because here's the other factor that we have to understand as followers of Jesus. There's the factor of our warfare with Satan. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, you became his enemy. And he wants to see to it that your life is as miserable as it possibly can be. So why Paul says to us, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, wicked principalities and wicked powers who will, just as you are God's 
representative and God's spokesman, Satan also has his representatives and spokespeople who will confront you and be combative with you because you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to say the right thing. You're trying to help people, but their response is in a very negative way. And here's another additional thing is that sometimes suffering is the means by which we worship God. You say, ooh, uh, is that true? Sometimes, in essence, it is the Father's will that you suffer. Was it the Father's will that Jesus suffered? Otherwise, there would have been no cross. Did Jesus struggle with that at one point? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was like, Father, if there's any other way that your, this cup of wrath can pass by me, But Jesus knew that my will, but your will be done, that what he was about to do in his suffering was literally an act of worship to God. Just as we sing to worship our Father when we suffer, and we suffer well, and we we tune into the Spirit, and we tune into our Heavenly Father, and, and God uses it to drive us deeper and deeper in our walk and relationship with Him. Again, you never know how shallow your walk with God is until He puts you in the deepest, darkest valley of your life where there is intense suffering that's going on, and you're wondering from the outset, can I do this? Can I make it through? How am I going to do I can't. I just don't know if I can take this any longer. That God begins to infuse in us things that we would never have. Now, he's not playing on your relational security. He's, he's not saying, well, you know, Greg, let's see how secure you are in your relationship. He, notice what Peter says. These are painful trials. They are fiery trials. These are the seasons in our lives where, I mean, it's unpleasant, it's uncomfortable, and it's difficult, and it's complicated, and it's becoming even more so as we've journeyed through this valley of we have of the shadow of death. And so this is what it was like for those who Peter is writing to. I mean, they're writing in time in the Roman Empire where the Roman Empire is beginning to collapse from within. There's all kinds of destructive things going on. Racial groups are fighting, political groups, ethnic groups, all kinds of things are happening within the Roman Empire and all these problems, not only external but internal. They hated the Christians, right? They didn't like Christians. They, they, they really um, uh, outlawed Christianity because they were not bow to Caesar. They would not adhere to the laws of the land if those laws were in diametric opposing Uh, the Word of God. So, yes, the Christians followed the Roman laws unless they were being asked to do something that was in direct contradiction to the authority of God's Word, and they just didn't like that. And so the, the kingdom, in a very real way, was beginning to disintegrate. And so here's the kingdom of God, a group of people representing the kingdom of God, and here's the Roman Empire representing the kingdom of Satan, and there is a war, there is a battle that's going on not only in the physical realm but also in the spiritual realm and these believers find themselves engaged in this battle if you haven't woken up by now we are in the same battle that's happening in our own country and across the world there is a war that is about to take place and the question is where will we stand when the war breaks out in a way that we've never seen it before I'm not here to scare you I'm here to prepare you Things are happening in the spiritual realm that are being played out in the physical realm. 
And so by this time, as Peter writes, and shortly thereafter, Nero becomes the emperor of Rome. And Nero, I mean, he wasn't playing games. He hated Christians. He hated especially Jewish Christians. And he, he unleashed a persecution and a martyrdom against Christianity like the world had never seen. He was the one who had the apostle Paul beheaded. And he was also the emperor who would oversee the murder execution and the martyrdom of Peter himself in the years to come. And so let me just say this about not being taken by surprise. Listen, our hearts long for heaven, but don't be shocked when hell shows up. Don't confuse the world's hatred with the Father's love. Okay? God loves you. He's passionate about you. And although suffering may come your way, and it may intensify as things begin to disintegrate across our world, do not question God's love for you. If you are with the Father, that means that you are against the world and the world will treat you just as they treated his son. So fourth thing is, some issues are national and global. They are felt personally, but they're not personal. Right? Decisions are being made all across the world, our globe, moving towards a more global society and economy and everything else, those are personally felt by us, but don't take them personally. This is just the way the world is going in preparation for what God has in store for future, right? If it's God's doing, if it's God's will unfolding, there's nothing you and I can do to stop that. It is going to happen, but we are participants in it, and we are wanting to be bold participants. Number two, rejoice, he says, when it does happen. Look, this, like, are you nuts, Peter? But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. If you suffer, it should not be for as a murderer, a theft, or any kind of a criminal, or even as a, I love this, even as a meddler. Wow, meddler, huh? Rejoice. What does that mean to rejoice? It's not re that I rejoice something's happening. It's just that I rejoice in the fact that God's doing something through what is happening, right? So it doesn't mean enjoyment. Enjoyment means getting pleasure out of something. Uh, when you and I are suffering, when we're going through a deep, dark valley, it's not that we are enjoying the journey necessarily, but we are rejoicing in the fact that God is not going to waste this time frame, this season in my life. And I told you from the very outset when I was diagnosed with cancer, I went through the same normal emotions that everybody else goes through. And I cried and cried out to the Lord. And, and, but I, I early on decided, you know what, Lord, I'm going to tell you, I don't know what all is in front of me because I had no idea at that time what was, what was in front of me. But here's one of the things I said to God. I will not cease to praise you every single day for this in my life. I will not allow Satan to rob me of my worship of you, of my adoration, of my joy. I will not allow him to steal what you are putting inside of me. Amen. Now, that's a bold statement. And who do you think is going to challenge that? Satan is. 
And I no more and got those words out of my mouth and some stuff happened, right? And just, I mean, it was just like cascading all over me. But here's what the Bible says, Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. So I chose from the outset because this is really what rejoicing is. It's, a, it's an attitude. It is a choice. I chose from the very outset that every day I will be glad, I will be joyful, and I will be thankful for whatever God brings. And so let me give you some reasons why you want to rejoice. Number one, it draws you closer to Christ. Notice he says, but rejoice that you participate. That word participate is the Greek word koinonia. We get our word fellowship. It means that when you are suffering as Christ is suffering, whether it be from, you know, a diagnosis or you're suffering because of your faith, and you're standing for your faith in the workplace, your neighborhood, your school, wherever it might be, it means that you get to know somebody up close and personal because you're walking through this valley or you are, you are receiving this suffering in your life. I mean, soldiers can tell you this, those who went through war together in their platoon, how close you become with one another. Like there's just a bonding that takes place like, like nothing else could ever bring. Or even towns who go through, um, you know, ordeals like tornadoes and, you know, a bunch of houses are wiped out and the, and the, and the town just kind of comes together and there's a bonding that takes place uh, that is the result of this horrible event in their midst. Something they had no control over. Well, the same thing is true. I'm telling you, when you walk through these valleys with Jesus, remember, he's always walking with you. He says, you really don't have to fear because I'm there and my rod and my staff, they're going to comfort you. They're going to correct you and comfort you. And when we get out on the other side, I'm telling you, we're going to have a bond that we have never had before. You're going to, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and you are abiding in me in ways you never dreamed possible. And what happens as the result of abiding in Christ, there is more power, there is more holiness, and there's more fruit. Amen. You're not going to get it any other way. Because let me tell you what happens to us when life is going well. God gets put on the back burner, just be honest. You know that, right? You, you do a few things. You may still come to church and all that, but I'm going to tell you, when God pulls the props out from under you, and there ain't nowhere else to hang on to, You'll hang on to Jesus like you never hung on to him before. And God will do a work in your life during that period of time in a way that he could, no long, he could ever do it prior to that. And so it says, man, he draws us closer to Christ. The Holy Spirit can be seen in your life, right? Rather than conforming to the pattern of this world, we begin to transform through the renewing of our minds so that we would know that God's will, his perfect pleasing will and we want to walk in that will and and allow the holy spirit i mean think about this uh he says man if if verse 15 if you suffer it should not be as a murderer thief or another kind of criminal or even as a meddler i mean like a meddler like stop posting stuff on facebook and meddling in other people's business man start praying for them right uh okay that's the greek word for that so it's not complicated but you just and so why about I want to glorify God's name? I mean, think about, think about Jesus, our example. Think about the words that were used against him. Things like he was, they call, he was called a glutton, which means he's an addict. Like he, he, he is a glutton. He called him a drunkard, 
which means now he's an alcoholic. They called him the friend of sinners, which meant that he hung out with shady characters and probably was just like them. He was constantly referred to as an illegitimate son, and then they drug Mary into that, like, you know, she had many men, and he doesn't know who his father is. In fact, all through his life, even towards the end of his life in the Gospels, we find that there were still those who were referring to him as the illegitimate son of of Mary, and he was accused of being demon-possessed by the religious leaders and the teachers of his day and time. Hey, those miracles that Jesus are doing, don't participate, don't engage in that. He's doing it by the power of Beelzebub. You want to run from that. You don't want to, you don't want to go towards that. And he's, he's, he's arrested as a criminal. I mean, he would have been on cops, like in always jumpsuit. Right, so, so Jesus is arrested, and he's, he's falsely accused. They, they can't even find somebody to testify against him. They have nothing to testify with. So they says they made up lies about him because they couldn't even tell the truth. Otherwise, he's not guilty. They, they arrested him, and they mocked him as the king of the Jews, putting a crown on his, his, his brow, and he dies on this cross. And while he is dying, he's being slandered, and he's being insulted. These are the words that were used against our beloved Jesus because he was doing the right thing. So don't be surprised when it happens to you. But I want to tell you what. One of the things we know is that Jesus was filled by the Spirit. He rejoiced in the Spirit and he walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit even though there were those who were against him. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 it says that Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith that before him and he endured the cross despising its shame seated at the right hand of, of, of the throne of God. In other words for Jesus there was no joy in his suffering but there was joy through his suffering because he know as he went through his suffering on the other side of that suffering there would be the glorification of Christ and the plan of salvation of God for the world has been unfolded so that you and I sitting here in the here and now could participate in that plan. What he is saying is that you can have joy not in your circumstances but in what God will do through your circumstances regardless because through it again there is there's just more power. He says the the, what, look, he says, the glory of God is revealed. The glory rests upon you. That, the glory speaks of heaviness. Here's what Peter's saying, is that the, the more suffering, the more intense, the more fiery becomes, whether it is because of a circumstance in your life or somebody is, is, is just railing you because of your Christian faith, the, the more weight that Satan puts upon you, God counteracts that weight with the Spirit of God living inside of you, and he just pushes it off of you, and he enables you to travail through that journey of the valley of the shadow of death that you thought you would never get through, you'd never get to the other side, you would never see the victory. He just pushes it off, and he allows you to walk victorious. Now, people say all the time, well, you've got cancer. What if you die? I still win. All right, it's bad on my family. I grant you that. It's bad on you as a church. I'll grant you that. But I still win. I know that when I draw my last breath, I enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a hope that is rooted and grounded upon the promises of God. That is the hope that I always bring into the room when I'm talking to somebody else about Jesus. It's the same power you have. And so... 
The spirit of glory rests upon us. It's ongoing. It's, it's, it's abiding. Let's, let's move on because I've got to get off these train tracks. Uh, I will fill in your blank. It means that God, here's the, the last one. It means that God can trust you. You know, one of the beautiful things about the early church, when, when they were persecuted for their faith, you know what they did not pray? God, please take away the persecution. Help us, you know, protect us. No, they, they considered, Acts 5, 41, go read it. They considered it an honor to suffer like Jesus suffered. Like, this is a badge of honor that we're carrying around here. And God can trust you with the suffering. He can do a lot of things in you and and through you. Number three is refuse to be ashamed. He says in verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment to get to begin in the house of the family of God, and it begins with us. That what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And it is if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God, God's will should, what? What did that say? Those who suffer according to God's will, can't be God's will, yeah? God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Do not be ashamed. Do not be intimidated by the cynics or the critics. People are watching you all the time. Right? They're watching you. They want to know, are you a person of integrity? D- does your walk match your talk? Are you willing to take a little pushback? And how are you going to respond to that? They look at those things. They want to know, are you the real deal? Because there's a lot of fake people out there, and they've already encountered them. And so we oftentimes, we fear rejection. We're afraid of what other people might think of us. The antidote to fear of rejection is twofold. Listen. You have to realize you don't need the approval of other people to be happy in life. All right? You just don't. There are some people who are going to push back, and they may say things, they may write things, they may slander you, they may post things, but you just can't let that bother you. I'm not in the business of trying to make everybody happy. I'm just simply in the business of trying to introduce them to Jesus, okay? I don't want to be obnoxious about it. I don't want to be pushy about it. I don't want it out of the gate like you know, just knock them and floor them to the, where, the, the, to the degree they're not even going to listen. There are ways that we can approach it. But again, the gospel is always ultimately offensive because the gospel says, I have a need that only Jesus can fill. So the second thing is you need to be more concerned about what God thinks and about what they think. Here's what I've, I've chose to do a long time ago, to turn my critics into my coaches, like, if somebody criticizes me, is there a kernel of truth there? If there's a kernel of truth, I need to know that, right? But you know what? What they said, I don't, I don't like it, but what they said is true. So there's some things that I need to, I need to change. So you allow your, your critics to become your coaches. Listen, we're all going to meet the Lord Jesus one day, and we're all going to give an account for our lives. Um, he's the one that really only matters, I just want to try to do the best I can of telling people about Jesus. Number four, remember, there is a reward that you are going to receive. He says in verses 17 and 18, there is a reward. Now, here's what I know about trials. Trials will either expose you or purify you. Let's take Judas and Peter. 
Remember Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, and uh, Jesus is in the um, upper room on a Thursday night prior to his crucifixion. He's celebrating Passover with his disciples, and it's discovered that Judas is the one who's going to betray him. Jesus never treated Judas any different than any other disciples. And so now all of a sudden he gets exposed and he, he betrays Christ with a kiss and for 30 pieces of silver. And ultimately what does, what does Judas do? The Bible says very, is very clear that when it was discovered it was Judas that Satan entered in him. He, he became demon possessed. And so as a result of that, he was exposed for who he really was. He walked with Jesus. He watched Jesus perform miracles. He acted like he was a friend of Christ, but he really wasn't. And then ultimately he goes out and hangs himself. Now let's take Peter. We talked about this a little bit last week. Peter, he didn't always get it right. He made a mess of things. He denied Christ three times. It took Jesus pulling him back into fellowship with him and saying and reinitiating his calling upon his life. I need you to care for my sheep. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to tend my sheep. You're going to be a leader in the church. I, I, I need you to rise up. And Peter did just that. It purified him. And in this purification, he rose to the leadership position God had had called him to. And so remember, um, listen, God has a reward for you that you will receive for everything that you do in his kingdom, all right? So it's not that I live for the reward, but at least it's in the back of my mind. I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus, I just want to make him proud. I mean, I don't always get it right. I've not always done it right. I've made a thousand mistakes in my life as a pastor. I've made a lot of, but I try to learn from those things and try to better myself like Peter rather than allowing it to expose something inside of me that says, oh, well, Greg is in this, this, and this, and now he's disqualified as a pastor, right? That's what I don't want. And so that knowledge of that I'm going to, I'm a steward of Christ and I'm going to be held accountable for how I utilized and leveraged my time and my resources and everything God's put at my disposal for his kingdom purposes. And that brings us to number five. All right, so here's what Peter says. Realize that suffering's coming. It's not how it comes. So it's, it's happening. It's coming in your life. Rejoice. Why? Because it draws you closer to Christ. Holy Spirit's more evident in you in, in uh, power and holiness and fruit. It means God's trusting you with uh, something that is, that is incredible. What did God trust, entrust with Jesus? Salvation. <laughs> God's entrusting with you the salvation of other people, right? We have the message. We have the hope. We're the ones who are to speak into their lives. And the last one is, remember, um, is to remain faithful, to remain faithful to God. And so in closing this message, my son-in-law is going to do that for me. And when we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing and have a prayer time. And come on up, bro. And so if he runs over, it's not my fault. No, I'm just kidding. So it's just kidding.